0: Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 10. Numbers 10 in continuation of our studies to the Old Testament. What's beautiful about what's happening here is you see Israel, they're on the move. And how beautiful it is to get to this point, everything we've studied thus far. And you see Israel on the move and the Lord is directing their steps. Here in verse one says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. You see how beautiful this is, how the Lord is not only directing their steps, but how very deeply involved with everyday things, uh, everyday aspects of their life, how deeply involved he is with instruction, with direction. And you see this intimacy. You saw this intimacy when we looked at the uh, uh, the blueprints when Moses was receiving the blueprints when it was just him and the Lord in the cloud in the mountain but now you see the cloud it's now in the camp as we studied last week in, in numbers nine it's in the camp and you see it's everybody Israel it was you, you see the the desire of the Lord. Just the fact that we see the desire of the Lord, let it resonate with us today. Because what about the desire of the Lord today with you? It's very important to understand this. You know, the Lord never changes. He desires intimacy with His people. But you know what the problem is? It's you and me. It's our carnality. It's our flesh. It's sin. That's why we need the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean... You saw what, you know how the Lord told Moses in Exodus 33 Moses, I'm not going to go with you guys. You guys go to the promised land. I'll meet you over there. But if I go with you, I'm going to kill you. He's, he said that. I'm kind of, you know, uh, paraphrasing, but that's what he told Moses. And Moses interceded for the people as a type of Christ intercession for us, intercession for you and me. You see how Jesus Christ says, I and my Father are one? And so we see this intimacy that God has with the people. And then he says this. He gives these further instructions. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, he says. But if they blow only once, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel shall gather to you. And then he goes on further. He says, "When you sound the advance, the camps shall the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey." So remember how organized how the Lord sets up the camp. Number in in in, in, in numbers in the beginning we see the uh, 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 you know the the counting the census, uh, but then at the same time we also see how the Lord is very intricately laying out the camp. You know, this tribe over here, this tribe over here, this tribe over here. And if you take a drone, you know, you heard me say this in our study back then. But if we get on a time machine, we get on a time machine and we go back in time to this particular moment. And we go or, you know, we see the camp of Israel. We see everything set up, the Levites, the Kohanim. You see everything, the east side, south side, west side, north side. And then you see the, the larger outskirts of the, 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 the tribes of Israel. And you take a drone and you go up and you look at the footage you know what you'll see on the ground? The cross. You'll see a cross on the ground. A shadow of the things to come. To tabernacle with the people. Remember tabernacle in the Old Testament? Think of it as a noun because it's a place. Tabernacle, in as New Covenant believers, it's a verb. To tabernacle with us. To tabernacle with you. That's what Jesus Christ says. He says this in verse 5. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. Now, who's on the east side? Judah. You see? Judah leading the way. How beautiful that is as New Covenant believers. Because we know of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse 6. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side, so that's Reuben, shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys, and when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. So in the Hebrew, this translates. It's it's a different word than it is like in in uh, in verse five. It says when you when when you sound the advance, it's a different word that's written here at the end of verse seven. It's more like um, it's to sound the alarm, but not to split the ears. So not too loud, not as loud as in verse five. Very intricate directions that the Lord is giving his people. Very intricate directions and instructions. In verse 8, the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. It's for the people, not just this generation, but all for future generations to follow. Why? Because the Lord wants this intimacy, the Lord wants to direct their steps. That's what the Lord desires. And you're gonna see in later chapters, later books, it's very, very sad, especially when the people cry out for a king. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. We look at the people around us. We want to be like them, and it's killing Samuel. It's breaking his heart. And then the Lord tells Samuel, Samuel, it, it, don't, it's, they're, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. It's okay, Samuel, because Samuel was like, you know, the Lord is our, the Lord is our king. We have the Lord. He directs us. He guides us. He protects us. He's our shield. We have the Lord, guys. And they're like, no, we want a king. We want a king. We want a king. And the Lord says, Samuel, it's okay. They're rejecting me. And so look what happens here in verse 9. When you go to war, not if you go to war, when you go to war in your land against the enemy who who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets and you will be remembered before the Lord your God and you will be saved from your enemies. I think it's so interesting because you look at what happened with Israel and in Egypt and how the Lord protected them, how the Lord guided them and how the Lord fought for them against Egypt, the mighty, mighty military of Egypt. The armies of Egypt. And here, you see, God still saves. Like at the end of verse 9, you will be saved from your enemies. God still saves, but there's still the expectation for Israel to fight. He says in verse 9, in the beginning, when you go to war, when you go to fight, there's this expectation of fighting, combat, hand to hand. It's the expectation. What about for you and me as believers? Yes, you know we're, we 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 become born again. We're like you know brand new babies in Jesus Christ, a brand new faith in Jesus Christ. And a lot of times in that very early stage of spiritual infancy, a lot of times the Lord does a lot of fighting for us. Because we're we're young, we're we're babies, we're new believers. But in the course of time, something happens where it's like, okay, I've learned how to carry my shield. I've learned how to put on my helmet. I've learned how to wear the breastplate. I've learned how to use the sword. And then what do we do? It's not just it's not like a fashion show. It's like I wear these things to look cool. To look good. No, you wear these things so we can get chinks in our armor. Dents in our shield. Which means what? We're fighting. You're fighting. We're fighting. That's what it means. And not just fighting because, you know, don't forget there's the defensive posture, but then also an offensive posture. And how many times in Scripture do we see a defensive posture, but at the same time, there's aspects for the camp of Israel and also for the camp of Christians? What is what does it look like for you and me to go on the offense? You see, you see it a lot in the book of Acts. You see a little bit of defensive posture. And then you just see straight up offense. Spiritually speaking, I'm not talking about, you know, going out and killing people. You know, somebody wants to reject Jesus Christ. Okay, kill him. No. No. Remember how the Lord says, hey, they're they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. When somebody rejects Jesus Christ, you pray for them. Pray for them that, you know, that, you know, they they say no to you, say you're at the park. They say no to you. And then you pray for them, Lord, soften this guy's heart, soften this lady's heart. You know what's going to happen? They're going to be at the gas station Somebody say, hey, God bless you, you know? Do you know Jesus Christ? What's the good news? And they're like, oh, brother, what's up with all these Christians everywhere? Then they're going to go to work. There's going to be a co-worker there, you know, at the, at the coffee pot, at the coffee machine or at the, at the, uh, 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 the water deal, you know, the oh you know hey god bless you you know how did you go to church on sunday i went to church on sunday it's like oh goodness what's up with all these christians and you're praying for them you're praying for that guy you're praying for that lady and in the course of time something happens you know we kind of talked about this on sunday don't cast your pearls before swine you can give nuggets and then all of a sudden nuggets and people start Wait, you know what there really is too something to the, 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 this, you know, this Jesus that this guy keeps telling him about. There really is something to this Jesus that this lady keeps telling me about. There's something different about this guy. There's something different about this lady. What is it? You and me, we know it's the salt. It's the light. They don't know that. Non-believers don't know that. But they can see it. They can be attracted to it. You see how beautiful it is? And we talked about that on Sunday edification. Edification of a non believer? Absolutely, edification for a non believer, for their benefit. And then, boom, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, their brand new believer. That's how we fight. That's how we go on the offense. You see? Winning souls. Winning souls for Jesus Christ. And so, he says this in verse 10. Also, in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and in the beginning of your months, you shall blow the the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. We're going to see aspects of this in the major prophets, also in the minor prophets. You're going to see aspects of these combinations of when to blow the horns. Went to blow the trumpets at certain feasts at certain festivals and as as markers for certain feasts and festivals. You know, and we're going to see these. It's so beautiful for us to have this backdrop, this uh, foundation, so to speak, of the law. Because now we're going to have a huge understanding of why God does what he does in future chapters, in future books. We're going to understand completely. Wow, Lord, you know, the Lord responds. The Lord reacts in a good way and in a bad way. He responds in a good way. Somebody's obedient to him. He responds in a good way. Somebody's disobedient to him. He responds in a bad way. It's still a good way, but it's bad for the guy. Bad for the lady. Why? Because there's chastisement. I mean, maybe you've seen like, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, you know, my brothers did something bad. And, you know, like I didn't get caught or maybe I didn't do something bad, but I didn't get caught. And so, my brother would get spanked, my, my dad would just go to town, and I'd be like, whoa, you know, like, glad that's not me, you know? And he's like, wow, I mean, he did. my dad disciplined my brother because he loves my brother. And my dad did the same to me because he loves me. You see, it's not like, you know, just beat on a kid. But he disciplined me because he loved me. He disciplined my brother because he loves my brother. And the same exact thing is with our Lord. He disciplines those whom he loves. But we're going to understand when somebody falters in their walk with the Lord. When the Lord does what he does, you're going to get it. You're going to understand. And you know, just like that. When I gave that example of like, "Whoa, my brother is really getting, you know, he's really getting it hardcore, you know, and I like fear me I still fear me like, OK, I, my brother made a mistake and, you know, I'm glad I didn't get caught and I'm not going to do it because my dad freaked me out because of what he was doing to my brother, you know, spanking my brother. And, you know, the same thing applies when we learn these things. All these things were written for our admonition. We talked about that on Sunday. We studied that on Sunday. And so we see these things in the law and in the Old Testament. It's like, whoa, Lord, I love you, Lord, but I also fear you, Lord. You see, they're written for our, our admonition. Because he loves you. He loves me. If we are without chastisement, we are illegitimate children. That's what Hebrews says. Without chastisement, if you read certain versions, it says we are bastards. That's how it translates. I I used to have a hard time saying that. But when you read certain translations, that's what it says. Bastards. I don't want to be illegitimate. You start to welcome chastisement. Now, I, I know that sounds like, whoa, that's... What do you mean, welcome chastisement? Well, understand what happens, what the Lord is doing when that happens. Chastisement. It's beautiful. i'll I'll read it you know i reference it sometimes i reference things and and, you know i just expect you know like okay you know you guys know what i'm talking about and some of you guys know what i'm talking about hebrews chapter 12 and verse 8 if you're but if you are without chastening of which you all have become partakers then you are illegitimate sons and you're illegitimate illegitimate and not sons that's what the uh, writer of Hebrews says in verse 8, chapter 12, verse 8. Some translations say, then you are bastards and not sons. It's like, whoa. You know, sometimes, you know, when you read Greek translations, when you read Hebrew translations in Aramaic, the Lord really drives the point home. Really drives the point home. I don't want to be that way. I don't want that for you. And you start to welcome chastening. So what do you mean, welcome chastening? That hurts. I know it hurts. I know it hurts. I've felt that before from the Lord. Verse 11, still in Hebrews 12, says this. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Not just period. The peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, and trained by it is gumnaso in the Greek. It's you know it's it's like to practice in it. how it translates is to be in a gym and practice naked in the games. Now, if your mind goes off into crazy town, you know you have to keep your mind in obedience. You know, as in Second Corinthians chapter ten verse five says, to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So don't let your mind go off into crazy town when I say that. Gumnaso is to be in the gym and practice naked in the games. And, you know, like, you know, I haven't been golfing in like, I have three, four years now. It's been a while, maybe three years going on four now that we're, you know, in a new year. It's been a while since I've gone golfing. But when I went golfing, you know, if it was cold, sometimes it's cold, you know. And when I went golfing, I would wear this vest. I would wear like, I want my arms. I want full range of motion with my arms, you know, so I can swing my club. Or, you know, back, I'm kind of chubby now, but when I used to be fit, I used to run and I used to wear the runner shorts, you know, and I, so I can have my full stride, you see? And so it's like, I don't want these restrictions, clothing restrictions when I need a full stride. I mean, not now, but like back in the day when I ran. You know, my wife pulled the plugs on. She pulled the plug on those shorts. (laughs) You look at runner shorts. Now that I think about it, you know, back in the day when I was fit, I didn't really care. But now I think about it, it's like, man, I dress like that? I went out and like that? You know, these guys, they kind of funny, you know? They got these weird shorts on, you know? But they're, you know, they're not chubby. So, you know, they got that going for them, you know? And so you hear this, it's, a, it's the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And this training is gumnaso in the Greek. To practice naked in the games. No restrictions. No restrictions. You look at wrestlers. You know, they wear their certain outfits. Look, they have no restrictions on the legs, on the arm, the neck. They have no restrictions. Why? They need full range of motion to handle business you see the same thing applies for you and for me you say what do you mean well still in chapter 12 of hebrews hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 therefore we are therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us you and me we need our spiritual you know running shorts I know that sounds cheesy to say it that way, but no restrictions. In your walk with the Lord, in your run with the Lord, as you run your race, what is it that's restricting you? You know, are you trying to run with like cargo shorts? Are you trying to run with like, you know, uh, tight jeans? No, you need to put on gym shorts, running shorts, so you can have a nice stride, a full stride, and run like the wind, run like the gazelle across the meadow. No restrictions. That's what Paul is talking about, or the writer of Hebrews. I can make a strong case that it's Paul. It's not really clear if it's Paul, but when you look at the themes of his writings, when you look at the style of his writings, you're like, "Well, this is Paul." Or some people say Apollo. That you know, I think it's Paul. If somebody say it were Apollo, then Apollos, then I I, I would understand that. I would get that. But you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, 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 dispute over doubtful things. As you know, we studied in he- uh, Romans 14. The peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Trained by what? Chastening. The chastening of the Lord. So going back to Numbers chapter 10, when we have this understanding of what the Lord is doing, what he's given through the law and in the law and what he's doing as a, in terms of a shadow of the things to come. When Israel falters... When Judah falters, when kings falter, when priests falter, when the high priests falter, when the Levites, the Kohanim, when they falter, you and me we're gonna understand exactly why the Lord does what He does. Because He said everything in motions in the law. He said it all in motion in the law. I mean, it was done prior to that, but once the law was given, it was a whole new ball game for Israel. And so look what happens here in verse 11, Numbers 10, verse 11. Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month. So based on our study last week, you know, it's the second month. It's the 20th day of the second month. So those guys who didn't take the Passover, uh, which I can make a strong case, probably Kohanim, likely Kohanim, could be those who took the Nazarite vow, but I think it happens, to, it, it's in the Kohanim. That's what I think. But it could be, you know, if someone to say, oh, it's the guy who, who took the Nazarite vow. Okay. I'm not going dis- to dispute over doubtful things. So you say it's Kohanim. You say it's a Nazarite vow. Okay. But you look at verse 11. Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month. So because it's the 20th day, it's not the, uh, the 14th day, it is the 20th day. Those guys who were restricted from the Passover, they've taken the Passover now. And now that they've taken the Passover, look what's happening. Now the Lord can direct their steps. Why? Because these guys are right with the Lord. You see? So many times people say, Oh Lord, I want to be in your will. I want to be in your will. Lord, where are you guiding me? Where are you guiding me? Where do you want us to go? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What do you want? And like the person's in sin. The person's going to the strip clubs, the person's doing drugs, the person's an alcoholic, the person's doing this, the person's doing that, beating on his wife, being a tax cheat, doing all these things. Embezzlement from their employer. Lord, what is your will for my life? What is your what do you want me to do? Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to well? I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. It's kind of like, you know. Starkly clear, stop sinning, you know, stop being a tax cheat, you know, stop beating on your wife, stop getting high, stop doing the drugs, you know, stop the pornography, stop the uh, strip clubs, don't do that stuff anymore, go and sin no more, don't do those things anymore. And then when you don't do those things anymore, maybe you're gonna have calmness in your heart. Calmness in your mind. You're gonna your eyes are gonna be different because you're gonna be able to see clearly with spiritual eyes and Have ears to hear and eyes to see Sometimes people what do I do, what do I do Lord? Where do you want me to go Lord? It's like hold on a second. Hold on a second Let's let's address your hearts first Let's address your mind first as you present your body a living sacrifice to the Lord Why? Because then you'll be able to hear when you seek the Lord and when you seek the will of the Lord and you pray unto him, you're going to have so much calm in your life, in your mind, that you'll be able to hear him. And just as these guys who were restricted from taking the Passover in the first month, they've taken the second month, the camp of Israel is now right before the Lord. Okay, time to go. Time to go. It came to pass in the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of testimony. So now the cloud is moving. The cloud is moving. And the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. Then the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So it's the first time they're going out. And the Lord is directing them before the Lord was directing Moses Moses go here go here go here okay now stop I'm gonna, but now the people can see the cloud now and the Lord is directing their steps it's a different people a different people you know now you have you know before it was Moses that was being obedient to the Lord now it's the people that are being obedient to the Lord the first time was pre golden calf this time it's post golden calf which shows us what forgiveness forgiveness that God has for the people that he has given to the people and not just forgiveness the fact that the people repented before the Lord you see they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses and how beautiful this is in verse 14 the standard or the flag or the banner of the camp of the children of Judah set out first. Remember, so like in verse 5, you know, Judah, Judah first. The standard of the camp of the children of, of Judah set out first according to their armies. Over their army was Nashon, the son of Aminadab. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nathanel the son of Zuar. And over the army of the tribe of the children of zebulun was eliab the son of Helon. then the tabernacle was taken down and the sons of gershon and the sons of merari set out carrying the tabernacle so you see like uh, judah and the levites judah and the levites heading out in verse 18 and the standard of the camp of reuben set out According to their armies, over the army was Elisir, the son of Shedir. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Simeon was Shelumiel, the son of Zerushadai. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Gad was Elisaph, the son of Deuel. Then the Kohathites, Kohathites set out, carrying the holy things. The tabernacle would be prepared for their arrival. So now you have Reuben and the Levites. And then in verse twenty-two, and the standard of the camp of the standard of the camp of the children of Ephraim set out according to their armies. Over their army was uh, uh, Elishama the son of Amihud. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Manasseh was Gamaliel the son of Pedasur. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Benjamin was Abidan the son of Gideonai. Then the standard of the camp of the children of Dan. The rear guard of all the camps set out according to their armies. I love this. Because you see, like, the rear guard is mentioned. The rear guard. It's like, you know, military terms. You see the rear guard. You see over it, like, in verse 15, over the army. How many times do you see this? Over the army. Wow, how beautiful this is. Verse, Verse 14, over the army. Verse 15, over the army. Verse 16, over the army. Like, the warriors. The fighters. You know, you don't see these words, such words, when you go back to Exodus and you see the actual Exodus when they're leaving uh, Egypt. Why? They're brand new. They're like brand new believers. Freshly out of Egypt. And the Lord fights their battle. But then here the Lord is starting to teach them, okay, you know, you guys are going to have to fight now. In verse 9, when you go to war, Not if you go to war, when you go to war. And we're going to see what happens when oppression comes. When they do have to efface their oppressors. Some get scared. And then the Lord gives them a, a hardcore lesson about fear. Not to fear people, but to fear God. To fear Him. He teaches them. Just like we looked at Hebrews 12. I'll read it again. Because there's a hardcore lesson when you fear people more than God. There's a hardcore lesson because Israel learns a hardcore lesson. And I pray that you and me, we're in the same boat, that we learn this lesson. To not fear people, but to fear God. And he chastens Israel. Let us learn from it. Because remember Hebrews 12 verse 11 says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. But painful, nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let us be a people that have been trained by the chastening of the Lord. Yes, the chastening of the Lord. As much as there's a side of me that doesn't want the chastening of the Lord for me. There's a side of me that doesn't want the chastening of the Lord for you. But then there's another side of me that welcomes it for me. That desires it for you. Why? It's how we learn. Not just the fear of the Lord. But the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And be of good comfort. Because in verse 8. If we are without chastening. Of which we all have become partakers. Then we are bastards. King James Version. And not sons. We are illegitimate and not sons. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anybody. We have to welcome chastening. You know, you have like millennials nowadays. They don't like chastening. Have you ever talked to a millennial? Never been spanked in his life. You know, 28 years old. Never been spanked before in his life. His parents listen to Dr. Spock instead of the Lord. Dr. Spock, oh, don't do this to your kids. Don't do this to your kids. What does the Bible say? Don't spare the rod. I'm not talking about beating your kids to a bloody pulp. But you got to give them the love taps. You know, my mom gave me love taps when I was a kid. And then she, you know, I used to fake it because she would spank. she had this little tiny wooden spoon. And when I was like, you know, three, it would hurt, you know, two. I forgot how old I was. But she used to spank me and it would hurt. And so one time she like bent me down and she was like, bang, bang, bang. And I was, Oh, that hurts, it hurts. hurts." I was acting. And then she like looked at me, she's like, You're acting, aren't you? And then I started to laugh. (laughs) That was the last time I laughed because then she told my dad, and my dad says, okay, don't worry about it. I'll take care of the spanking from now on. That was the last time I laughed because my dad used this big black leather belt and with this big old buckle on it, you know, never the buckle side, you know. not he wasn't too hardcore, but always is the leather side, you know, like, whap. And not just once. You see? Why? Because he loved me. He loved my brother. That's why. And I tell you, you know, when my friends started to get, you know, when I got older, my friends started to get into criminal activity, criminal behavior, breaking into houses, stealing cars, doing all kinds of things. They'd call me, hey, let's go out, let's go out and do this. I'd say, no way. Oh, you're afraid of the cops? No. Oh, what, you don't want to go out? You you don't want to go to juvie? No, because some of my friends went into juvie. You're afraid of juvie? Not at all. Well, what is it? My dad is going to kill me. <laughs> you see. I feared my dad, you know, not feared like, you know, he was going to kill me. I mean, you know, he probably would have, you know, figuratively. But yeah, I did fear him in a good way, in a healthy way. I had respect for him because he disciplined me because he loved me. You see, the Lord does the same thing with you and me. So there's a side of me that doesn't want chastening for us. But then there's another side that says, you know what, Lord? not to you know be overly facetious about it but i mean there's a side of me that says yes lord it is an aspect of our walks with him to learn to learn from our mistakes even but it's much better much easier to learn from the mistakes of other people (laughs) in the bible you know israel makes mistakes okay learn from them you know people in the church they make mistakes learn from them much easier to learn from other people's mistakes but sometimes we learn from our mistakes too see, but it's much easier to learn from the mistakes of others. And we learn the fear of the Lord. And not just the fear of the Lord, the love of the Lord. Let's go back to Numbers Numbers uh, 10. And here in Numbers 10, what do we see here? You see this military references to, you know, like in verse 25, Numbers 10, 25. Then the standard of the camp of the children of Dan, the rear guard. Maybe, maybe a couple weeks ago, several months ago. I don't know when it was, but I was wondering why are, there's this mention of Dan all the time the tribe of Dan the tribe of Dan tribe of Dan and then I see this it's like wow I like the tribe of Dan the rear guard you see the rear guard military terms then the standard of the camp of the children of Dan the rear guard of the camp of all the camps set out according to their armies over their army was Ahieser the son of Amishadai. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Asher was Pegiel, the son of Okran. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Naphtali was Ahira, the son of Enan. Thus was the order of march of the children of Israel, according to their armies, when they began their journey. You see, order. Our God is a God of order. He says this in verse 29. Now Moses said, "The Hobab, the son of Reuel, the Midianite, Moses's father-in-law." Now we're going to pause here for a moment. In verse 29, there's a lot of controversy about verse 29. They call it controversy. I don't see. It as, I don't see it as a controversy at all. But it's called the Jethro conspiracy. I called it. I don't know if it's called that, but I called it that because it's you. It's all over the place. The Jethro conspiracy. And so, what do we see in Exodus chapter 2, verse 18? Reuel. It's the Hebrew name for a friend of God, but Jethro is referred to as Reuel, Exodus chapter two verse eighteen. In Exodus three verse one, he's referred to as Jethro. I refer to him as Jethro. I've I've known him as Jethro. I refer to him as Jethro, and you know Jethro kind of stuck. But in Exodus two eighteen, he's Reuel. In Exodus three one, he's Jethro, and in other passages, he's Jethro. In Judges four eleven, he's Hobab. And this, that's the Jethro conspiracy. There's other passages that mention Jethro. But these are the three biggies Reuel, Jethro, and Hobab. And you see atheists, the agnostics. You say, they say, you see, there's contradictions in the Bible. He's called Reuel, he's called Jethro, he's called Hobab. Which is it? And then the theologians step in, the so called theologians, they step in. And they say, well, you know, it's this, it's this, it's this. And then they start arguing. You know, there goes the fruit of the theologians. They start arguing. Then you see the theologians, they start, you know, start using cuss words. There goes their fruit. The big old debate. You know, the atheists are debating, the theologians are debating all these things. You see, there's these, what is it? the, the Bible, There's so many uh, 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 contradictions in the Bible. It's Reuel, it's Jethro, it's Hobab. You know, they. I call it the Jethro Conspiracy. But I don't really see it as a conspiracy at all. You see, I'm, kind, I'm, I'm Latin of Latin descent. And for us Latin people, it's super easy. Why? Because we know people. We have friends. We have family members with super duper duper long names. Pedro González García López Sánchez Montoya. What's his name? It's all of them. It's all of them. You see, you take the first name, middle name. You take the dad's surname, the mom's surname. And, you know, sometimes a mom or dad has a hyphenated. It's worse if they both have hyphenated last names. You get these really, really long last names. So what is it, you know? The atheists are saying, oh, there's so many so many contradictions in the Bible. You see this, you know, Reuel, Jethro, Hobab, the Bible's fake. The theologians are saying, no, 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 it's this. And, the, you know, the family lineage is this. And the Hebrew, this. And there's a, you know, the gap after uh, the gap after Joshua. There's a, you know, a, a, a gap where, the, you know, the, the, the translators, they did this. And in jo- in Judges and the, this gap, they didn't capture this. And they try to explain it like that. And I get the argument. I understand the argument, but with Latin descent, it's kind of a piece of cake. It's kind of a piece of cake because it's like, you know, people, it's like, you know, Pedro Gonzalez Garcia Lopez Sanchez Montoya piece of cake. Which name is it? All of them. I'm not going to dispute over doubtful things. I'm not going to get into a big old uproar because there's more to the story. So if you talk to uh, a non-believer, a mocker, especially as we get into the last days and they refer to, oh, the Bible's so fake. Look at Jethro. Is it Jethro? Is it Reuel? Is it Hobab? Which, which, which is it? Which is It's all of them. It's all of them. You see? And so let's continue on in verse 29. Now Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reuel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. So this says something else. So... What, what's, who's this Hobob? If Hobab in, in Judges 4, 11 is Jethro, who's this Hobab? Same name. No biggie. I mean, you look in, like, Latin homes. You know, you have a, 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 the, the patriarch of the home. Say his name is, um, I don't know, Pedro, you know? And then, like, he has a son named Pedro. And then, like, that guy has a son named Pedro. So it's like you look in the family. Well which Pedro is it? It's this Pedro, the little one. Is this Pedro the big one? Oh, is this Pedro the old one, the ancient one? The middle one, you know, it's like all all different kinds. So I see this at, with Latin of Latin descent. I read these things, I hear the arguments on both sides, the atheists, the theologians, and to me it's no big deal. To me it's like it's it's kind of a piece of cake, really, you know. It's kind of a piece of cake. That's just me. And so this is what Moses said to Hobab in verse 29. We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. And he said to him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my relatives. So Moses said, please do not leave inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness and you can be our eyes. And you see how Israel has... uh, a protective stance already, how you have this, these, uh, um, you know, uh, these uh, references to, you know, the the rear guard, these mentions of, you know, certain uh, uh, armies of the tribes of, you know, certain tribes. And it's like they already have a protective posture. And so when when Moses is saying you can be our eyes, it's, you know, there's reference to as being a a, a guide, but not a guide in terms of that because it's the Lord that's guiding but a guide in terms of like the terrain, you know, like if, if the cloud goes, say the cloud goes over a ravine, you know, then this guide, a person who knows the terrain, a person who is well acclimated to the desert terrain can say, okay, you know, you want the, the elderly to go down this way. You want the, you know, the elderly with their, you know, they might have weak bones. They might be, you want them to go this way because it's going to be easier. And Moses is saying, yeah, we can use you. can you just stay with us stay with us you you could be helpful you see a little bit of diplomacy too the diplomacy of moses in verse 32 and it shall be if you go with us indeed it shall be that whatever good the lord will do to us the same he will do to you you see blessings bless those who bless bless those who bless you you see In verse 33, so they departed from the mountain of the Lord. I have to say, you know, bless those who bless you. But don't forget the words of our Lord. Bless those who curse you. So there's Old Testament connotations, bless those who bless you. You know, blessings on those who, uh, 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 the blessings on Jacob, the blessings on Israel. But then at the same time, don't forget that our Lord Jesus Christ himself says, bless those who curse you. We talked about that on Sunday. Bless those who curse you because it's a piece of cake to love those who love you. Even the tax collectors do that, he tells us. But when you love those who hate you, I met Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What? like? That's so out of this world. You know, like to hear that, it's so out of this world, and quite literally, out of this world. Because his kingdom is not of this world. His Father's kingdom is not of this world. That's why we're just passing through. We're not of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so he says in verse 33, So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a a journey of three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for three days journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went out from the camp. You see this beautiful intimacy. The Lord is with them. And remember, Exodus 33, when the Lord says, I'm not going to go with you guys because you guys are a stiff-necked people. And if I go with you guys, I'm going to kill you. That's what he says. Exodus 33. And then Moses interceded. And then all of a sudden, the the Lord says, okay, I'll go with you. And here's the law again. Except now, there is sacrifice. Now, there is blood. You see? Blood. Remember, the law was given three times, the Ten Commandments three times. The first time, orally, you know, vocally. The second time, through uh, tablets that were destroyed by Moses at the golden calf. And then the third time, the tablets, and that was given with blood. Yes, I'll be with you, Israel. I'll be with you. But there needs to be blood because of sin. There needs to be the atonement for sin, and that's through blood, life for life. Remember, life is in the blood, life for life. Life for life. A transfer of sin. That's the Old Testament. But as a shadow of things to come, the same thing happens with you and me and Jesus Christ. A transfer of sin. My sin upon Jesus Christ. Your sin upon Jesus Christ. The propitiation for our sins. And he is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He is also the sacrificial lamb. How beautiful. Who can do Who can do such a thing? How The beautiful works of our Lord is like, you read this, and as New Covenant believers, we read these aspects of the law, and it's like, it just blows me away. What? Who could? Only the Lord. I mean, you read the Old old Covenant as New Covenant believers, it blows you away. You read the New Covenant, understanding that the backdrop with the foundation of the Old old Covenant, old, Old Testament, blows you away. I mean, look at what we studied about the the, 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 uh, the root, the root, the stump, the shoots, the, the the branches. You read the prophecies in Isaiah. You, you read what's written in, 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 in Romans 11. You know, and it's like the new interprets the old, the old interprets the new. And what do we see? A beautiful picture of the handiwork of our Lord. And so in verse 34, and the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they when they went out from the camp. So it was whenever the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. You see, it's like a battle cry almost. They were going forth, okay, Lord, rise up. Like a battle cry. And when it rested, in verse 36, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. You see, intimacy. The Lord desires intimacy with this people. And the people, led by Moses, desire intimacy with him. Oneness. Oneness. The same mind. Just like we studied on Sunday. The, state, the same mind. The same mouth. The same spirit. You see, two becoming one spiritually. Intimacy. That's what the Lord desires. We see examples of this in the Old Testament and not just examples for you and me. We see the, the the literal application of obedience and what it means for the people, intimacy, oneness. Let it ring true for us today, for you and me, and how the Lord desires oneness with you and me, not just today, but tomorrow and for all our days. And let us be a people that remain, remains obedient unto him obedient unto the lordship of Jesus Christ. We're going to end our study here, and we'll pick up, Lord willing, next week in chapter 11. God bless you guys. Love you guys.